Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. It's Pride Month. And, you know, for a little smile in that direction, go over to Democratic Underground and click the boat story. <laughs> or, or, you know, it's all over the Internet. It's, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I don't know if anybody got hurt in that, by the way. If anybody did, then maybe you shouldn't click on it. I, you know, I just, anyhow, there's that meme. And also, it's, it was the anniversary of the, uh, it had been referred to as a race riot or as those kinds of old phrases, but it really was a massacre. This was a slaughter of black people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back literally 100 years ago. And uh, it's been covered exhaustively in the media. CNN did a great documentary on it. If you're not familiar with that story, you know, track it down. But, you know, we're still struggling with this stuff. Black Americans are three times more likely to report that a police officer pulls a weapon from his holster than are white people. Hispanic Americans are twice as likely, by the way. Black Americans are twice as likely as white Americans to report additional officers arrive on the scene when they get pulled over or stopped. Uh, black and Hispanic people are significantly more likely than white people to be searched after a traffic stop. Black Americans are more likely to report that they or someone in their family has been arrested or detained by police compared to white people. That's a 40% to 28% uh, shift. I mean, some substantial numbers. We still have a hell of a long way to go. Three in five Americans, 59% say the country needs to continue making changes to give black Americans equal rights with white Americans. This is a majority opinion in the United States. It's a good thing. What that probably means, though, if it's only 59% of Americans, and it's got to be a, close to 100% of black Americans, that it's a minority position among white people, which is kind of creepy. It's a, not just kind of, you know. 8% of white Republicans believe the 2020 protests, we're talking to the Black Lives Matter protests, were positive. 60% of Democrats think so. So anyway, on it goes. But we've got a lot coming up in the program today uh, to get to. I'm going to start off with a rant about, can you name one successful libertarian country? I know of none. And I've been in countries that were run along libertarian lines, more or less. 
and I'll tell you about that. Lisa Graves is going to be with us. She's the executive director uh, at True North Research, and her latest piece is, I was a lobbyist for the Koch brothers, but what I really want to get into with her is the influence of dark money on our courts. But to start out, libertarian ideology. The, this, you know, the, the Libertarian Party was created in the 1950s by a group called FEE, F-E-E, -E, and it was a front for a real estate lobbying group and a foundation for education, something or other. And they came up with this party to give a political justification to deregulating the banking industry and the real estate industry so that real estate people wouldn't have to worry about pesky regulations like redlining, wouldn't have to worry about pesky regulations about who you can loan to and who you can't, wouldn't have to worry about pesky regulations about who you can sell your house to and who you can't, all that kind of stuff. And keep in mind, back in the 50s and 60s, uh, there weren't that many laws at that point in time, you know, controlling a lot of this. But they, you know, but it, it was adopted, it was a real estate lobby that started it. But it was rapidly adopted by the, basically the entire American business community as this, you know, great idea. Yeah, you know, government should only do a couple of things. The only legitimate purpose for a government is to run the army, and protect the borders of the country, run the police and stop crime, and run the courts so that you can put people in jail and you can hold businesses accountable when they behave badly. But you can't hold them accountable if there's no rules, So, but we don't want those rules. We don't want those stinking regulations. And I have been asking libertarians on this program for uh, the 18 years I've been doing this show, please name one country where libertarian ideology actually has worked. And they can't. There is no such place. Now, if there was such a place, you would know the name of it right now. Honest to God, you would know. Because if I say to you, for example, uh, please name one country or even one region where democratic socialism has worked, you would immediately say Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Scandinavia. Or even, you know, Germany, France, you know, Northern Europe. So we all know that, you know, democratic socialism works, regulated, heavily regulated capitalism with high taxes works. So what about this libertarian ideology? It doesn't work and it doesn't work anywhere. I was in Uganda uh, the year after, at the tail end of the civil war, when Idi Amin fled the country. It wasn't even a civil war, actually. They had been invaded by the Tanzanians from the south. And it was, uh, when I was in Kampala and in Bali and, and a whole bunch of places, we traveled all over Uganda. It was uh, under the control of Tanzanian soldiers. Most of them were like 15 years old. And it was a mess. I mean, we were there feeding starving people. Then there were literally thousands and thousands of people who were starving. Because all their government was doing at that point in time, all the Ugandan government was doing was running the army and the police. That was it. And I mean, this is you know, kind of a well-established thing. And, and I think that the point that is so important about this is that this has been embraced by the Republican Party ever since the, well, since the 70s, and officially embraced and put into policy by the Republican Party since the Reagan Revolution in 1981. This whole, oh, you know, we don't need a welfare state, and we don't need a social safety net, and we need to privatize social security. These are official Republican positions, right? 
We need to privatize Social Security, hand it off to the billionaires. We need to privatize Medicare and Medicaid, hand it off to the big insurance companies. We need to stop regulating fossil fuel companies and, and coal mines and refineries and things. And just, you know, let, them de- let the free market deal with all this stuff. And the bottom line is that, you know, libertarian ideology not only does not work, but it destroys nations. It has, for the large part, I mean, it's brought us these predictable results. Historically low taxes on corporations and billionaires, an impoverished middle class, a devastated labor unions, the highest rate of child poverty and maternal death in the developed world, millions without access to health care, one in seven children going to bed hungry, our schools, our roads, our bridges and rail systems in shambles. And now these libertarians in Texas want to say, you know, and by the way, you don't like our libertarian policies? We don't have to count your votes. We don't even have to let you vote. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So when are we going to figure out that this doesn't work, right? As a nation, just figure out this, this doesn't work. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. And, oh my God. What a, what a day, right? What a week. What a, what a, what a weekend. I hope you, by the way, I, Sean tells me via Sue, who does our newsletter and literally every day she finds all the articles that I'm talking about or pulls them off the wiki that we work on and puts them in a newsletter that goes out for free over at uh, TomHartman.com. Sue compiles it and puts all those stories on there. It's just a great effort that she's been doing for years. And Sue is like the master at using the, I was going to say Google machine or DuckDuckGo machine. I'm not sure what she uses. But anyhow, Sue tells us, or Sean tells me via Sue, that the boat that blew up after harassing the pride boat, nobody was injured or nobody died and that in fact the people were rescued by the people in the pride boat so you know the weekend just got a little bit better jessica uh, in chicago watch us on free speech tv hey jessica what's on your mind today hi tom i love hearing about all your travels and experiences thank you for all that knowledge you're welcome and I just want to say those spineless, repulsive senators won't even meet with Mrs. Sicknick or Officer Fanon. You're right. And he suffered a heart attack after being beaten and tased on January 6th. Only 15 Republican senators met. And I believe, like you do, a select committee will be better. The Republicans just will block all the subpoenas anyway. And, of course, those Republicans, they're treasonous. They're not going to want a committee. Half of them are in on it. The greedy, evil idiots are treasonous insurrectionists. And I remember seeing Mo Brooks wear a hat that said, shoot Pelosi at the insurrection rally. And I remember Boebert tweeted the location of Pelosi. And I remember... Marjorie Taylor Greene gave a tour, and one of the people in her tour was Anthony Argaro, who was arrested. He was a participant in the insurrection. And then the last thing, Flynn, 
I think he should be arrested. I think the DOJ for calling a coup on our country. Mm -hmm. um, he said there's no reason it shouldn't happen here. What happened in Myanmar? Right, and, Myanmar. Yeah. yeah, and I think they should arrest him, confiscate his cell phones, his computers, and look at his Facebook posts. And I, I bet that would tell a lot because I remember. One thing about that, too, he had an ad on Facebook, be a part of history on January 6th. And we should at least take away his military pension. And then the Oath Keepers are even saying they're letting the cat out of the bag. They are saying that it goes all the way up to the top, that yeah. they took orders from Trump. Yeah. No, I got that. And there was that uh, January 5th meeting in the Trump Hotel in, the, in Trump's private suite with uh, at least Republican Senator Tuberville from, uh, what is it, Alabama, I believe. And there may have been another Republican senator in that room. There's speculation Josh Hawley was there, although I haven't seen confirmation of that. But this was uh, apparently a war room meeting. Seth uh, Abramson yeah. has done a great job of documenting that. But I think your first point about the commission is a really important one, Jessica. You know, I wrote an op-ed, I've done two, two or three shows where I just ranted about, you know, we don't need no stinking commission. If it's 50-50 Republicans and Democrats, do you really think you're going to get an outcome that is honest? Republicans are not honest on this issue. Republicans are on the wrong side of this issue. Republicans are guilty, many of them, mm -hmm. on this they issue. And, and, and the minority who aren't, are, you know, like Liz Cheney, are calling them out. But, I mean, you know, it's like, come on, give me a break. And so now Pelosi can set up a select committee, and a select committee has subpoena power. <laughs> and that's powerful stuff. And that's what we need, and we need a special prosecutor. We need an independent prosecutor, and nobody's talking about that. And that should be on the conversation as well. Jessica, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you, and thank you for watching us on Free Speech TV. is our old buddy Lisa Graves, executive director and editor-in-chief of True North Research, truenorthresearch.org. Lisa's Twitter handle is the Lisa Graves, or It's True North. Lisa, welcome back to the program. It's been a long time. It's great to have you with us. First of all, your most recent piece, I saw this over on Common Dreams. I think I was a lobbyist for the Koch brothers and didn't know it. Say what? <laughs> Thanks, Tom, for having me. I appreciate it. It's always nice to be on your show. Yeah, so I did write a piece on Common Dreams about the case that's before the Supreme Court right now, which they may be deciding any time this month, where Charles Koch's team has is seeking to have the Supreme Court declare that disclosing donors to regulatory agencies from these you know nonprofit operations is unconstitutional, that it chills what they call speech, which is spending of money on big groups like the Cook's political operation if regulatory bodies know about it. And that case is coming up. And I wrote a piece about what I saw and understood later about the Coke funding and Coke Alliance for mm -hmm. the ACLU. And so, so I was, you know, I'm disappointed that the ACLU has weighed in on the side of the Koch brothers in this case. And I'm concerned that this new packed court is going to use its newly expanded majority to try to preemptively strike a blow against H.R. 1, the For the People Act, and S. 1, which are, you know, really right now the only ways in which we can try to get some disclosure of right. how 
these big billionaires are spending their money to distort our elections. This would be a doubling down on both Citizens United and arguably McCutcheon and certainly on Buckley and Bilotti on those decisions in 76 and 78 and then the 2010 Citizens United, if I'm understanding you correctly. And yeah. so how badly corrupted, first of all, have you or anybody you know considered the possibility that Congress could or should or should not, for that matter, use the power given to them in Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution, which says that Congress may create exceptions to what the Supreme Court may rule on. In other words, adding what's called court stripping language to H.R. 1 that says the Supreme Court may not rule on the constitutionality of this. Well, you know, it's always a joy to talk with you because you're so knowledgeable, Tom, about the case history and also the currently the land in terms of what's happening in Congress. And, you know, I think that, you know, we are in a very precarious position with this Supreme Court. We have a court that has been packed in a way that's virtually unprecedented in U.S. history. In the last 50 years, by the way, there have been, you know, basically only four Democratic appointees to that Supreme Court and basically 16 appointees from Republican presidents. And so we have a very out-of-balance court. We have a court that has been handpicked by Leonard Leo, who's uh, one of the architects of what he described as a revival of what he calls the structural constitution. And he has told his funders that America hasn't seen the kind of revolution through the courts uh, in 100 years since before the New Deal that this court is poised to unfurl. And we've already seen three major pillars of that agenda even before now. One was the Citizens United decision, as you point out, which really unleashed this massive dark money that Koch has exploited, Charles Koch, one of the richest men in the world. Uh, we saw that in the Voting Rights Act case, where they basically uh, took away the power of Congress, in essence, and the Justice Department to pre-clear some of these changes in voting. And now we're seeing this rampant effort to make it so much harder for Americans to vote. And then the third part is the case, uh, Rucho case, where the Supreme Court said it wasn't going to get involved in this extreme partisan map drawing where we have states like Wisconsin and North Carolina, where you have a majority of Democratic votes, but a legislative majority and congressional delegations that are dominated by Republicans because the maps are so distorted. And so I think Congress should look at all options available for fixing this situation, for resetting the table that this Supreme Court and some of these extreme judicial appointments that Trump made are prepared to basically crush our ability as a democracy to really function, in my view, to really put their thumb on the scale of justice and also take away the ability of Congress to delegate powers to the agencies, administrative agencies, to regulate corporations. So we have 30 years of this, a 30-year majority from this 6-3 court, unless we're able to make substantial reforms to protect our democracy. Yeah, I'm with you. And I wrote a book about this, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. And when I was doing the research for that, I found this 29-page uh, memo that John Roberts produced when he was working for Ronald Reagan in the Reagan Justice Department. And Reagan had tasked him with the job of how do we overturn Brown v. Board and Roe v. Wade without changing the court, because we can't change the court. And Roberts did a deep dive into this, all the way back to the founding of the Republic. And what he came up with, what his suggestion to Reagan was, was pass a law that says that Article 3, Section 2 says Congress can regulate the court. You know, and typically that has meant their budget and the number of members. And also can create exceptions to what the court may rule on. And so simply pass a law 
overturning Brown and say and add to that law language that says the court may not rule on this. Pass a law overturning Roe v. Wade and include language saying that the court can't rule on this. Reagan didn't do it. He didn't think he had the political capital to pull it off. But, I mean, it's right there, and it's in John Roberts' hand, <laughs> for God's yeah. sake. I mean, it's yeah. just, I, I reprinted a big chunk of it in my book. Yeah. So Your book is brilliant, Tom, really. It's an extraordinary description of sort of how we got into this mess and some of the key players. And I, myself, spent a lot of time trying to keep John Roberts off the courts because I felt that he was, you know, someone who definitely had an agenda to dramatically change our rights. Oh, yeah. He's it turns out that he's not as extreme as some of the people who came after him, yep. which is also very worrisome. And we're really headed to a collision course because we have a rising electorate of progressive youth who want to make sure that we can mitigate climate change and we can have policies that make sure that our government works well for the people and isn't just serving these corporations that are paying no- nothing in taxes and you know spending a lot of money on lobbying and their CEOs are spending a lot of money, some of them on these front groups like some of the Coke operations. And we have a court that is poised to basically be in place until these young people retire, if they're able to retire, unless we make some substantial changes to the way this court operates. That could include changes in jurisdiction. It could include expanding the court. As you know, there's no reason why it's nine justices. It could be 15. I think it should be 15. I think there should be other appellate courts that can deal with the fact that this Supreme Court only takes 90 cases out of 9,000 per year. And so it's handpicking which cases it wants to change our society on. And these justices that have been appointed by Trump are so arrogant and I think so unfit that they're more than willing to substitute their personal judgment, their personal political agenda for longstanding landmark cases and precedents like Brown, like Roe. And, you know, there's obviously an indication that right now this court has taken that Mississippi case and they may well overturn Roe versus Wade, quote, send it back to the state yep. in a way that really undermines women's reproductive freedom. Yeah, the whole thing is breathtaking from one end to the other. Lisa Graves, executive director and editor-in-chief at True North Research. TrueNorthResearch.org is the website. Lisa, thank you. Great talking with you again today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, oh, my pleasure, always. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Let's see here. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's up? Buenos dias, mi hermano. <laughs> Buenos dias, Chaz. What's on your mind? Hey, top of the show, you were talking about uh, libertarians, this and that. And uh, I wanted to give you maybe a couple, three, maybe a dozen examples. If you're a libertarian, then you might want to stop doing this. Okay. All right. If you don't trust the government, you want it to stop regulating your life, then stop, you know, stopping at red lights. Let people fire their guns randomly into the air. Leave bars open all hours. Cut seat belts out of your car. Use state-issued dollars instead of federal. Don't trust food from the supermarket. Stock up ammo against foreign invasions. Don't expect disaster recovery. Homeschool your kids. Seal up your house against infectious pests. Don't drink tap water. Don't trust restaurants. Go back to eating saturated fats. Pray away incoming forest fires. Stop listening to weather forecasts. Research your own energy alternatives. Stop bailing out banks. Destroy the ozone layer. Let your children smoke cigarettes and put them into private prisons. There. Problem solved. Ah, that's a hell of a list, Chaz. Where'd you get that? Oh, I, Tom, before I talk to you, I do my research. I, I, sometimes I'm accumulating these over the courses of months. Ah, so, so this, and, is, and this finally, is a list that Tom, you yourself have compiled, Chaz. Yes, sir. That's, and at some point, brilliant. you give uh, voice to my uh, concerns, and I appreciate it. Yeah, you should you should uh, put that together into a rant and post it over at opednews.com or democraticunderground.com or something. Are you sure like you really want to encourage that sort of behavior? I do. From, uh, you're, you're a smart guy and you do your research. <laughs> so. All right, Tom. Okay, good I'll talking to you, Chaz. Thanks. I appreciate the Thanks. call. Thanks. Uh, Evelyn in Seattle. Hey, Evelyn, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. So listening to all your issues about, you know, January 6th, commission or uh, what happened, gun control, racism, voting rights, and our whole democracy in jeopardy. I would like to know what you think about Joe Manchin, because I feel like he pretty much single-handedly is helping the Republicans right now with going against getting rid of the filibuster. And I feel like that it would be the only way how the Democrats can uh, accomplish change. Yeah. And you know, I'm completely with you, Evelyn. I am baffled by Joe Manchin. Now, the, over the weekend, somebody tweeted to me a uh, list that showed Joe Manchin being one of the top ALEC participants or recipients or whatever. But it does concern me that Joe Manchin might be one of those guys who's taken money from Charles Koch. Okay. Suspicious about that. I was kind of, and then I thought, oh no, I can't, you know, I can't be like that, like a conspiracy, like uh -huh. that was a conspiracy theory, yeah. you know, and I, I yeah. couldn't act like that. But I was like, is he paid off because he's going to block any meaningful change? Yeah. The thing that baffles me is that Joe Manchin's a wealthy guy, he's, he's a multimillionaire. 
And I would think he doesn't need Charles Koch's money or Alex money or whatever it is, but uh, apparently he likes hanging out. I don't know. I, I, I intend to find out more about it. Evelyn, thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate the call. David in North Miami, Florida. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hey, y'all. Yes, about the gun culture. Yeah. I think a chunk of it is about baby boomers growing up on these westerns set in the Old West, forgetting that these were mainly Civil War veterans, or at least the children thereof. And so that has been skewing their viewpoint. Well, almost all of your famous Wild West criminals, you know, the Billy the Kid types, they were Confederate soldiers who had committed war crimes and literally could not go home and because they were such criminals. Man without a country. Right. And so they went west. And you're absolutely right. And and then they became, you know, mythologized. And, and for my generation, that was, you know, that was the movies and the shows of the 50s, 60s and 70s. But then along came for my kids generation, you know, for the Gen Xers and, and now for the millennials came well, along the, the Bruce the Willis Xer, movies yeah. and and this other version of uh, revenge movies, David. But so here's my uh, my counter. Since everything is getting rebooted and prequeled, mm-hmm. maybe we need a prequel of the, uh, for example, the rifleman may be narrated by Johnny Crawford, who played the son. I think he's still alive, to show how these people were affected by the Civil War, just like the baby boomers mm. forget how war affected their parents. On the flip side, I know you're not a big fan of the new, you know, Hawaii Five O and Magnum PI, but there's Canadian crime shows that are about, you know, strategy and intelligence, whether Flashpoint. Yes or, well, the show Intelligence, where there's a lot less emphasis on being the quickest gun and having, you know, impossible knowledge. Are those Canadian target. crime Otherwise, shows uh, literally n- titled in, did you just name two of those shows, or were you talking about yes. the... So okay, what, one is called Intelligence, right. not the CBS show, and the other is called Flashpoint, with uh, some actors you'd recognize, but it's a Canadian uh, show. Right. And so, yes, there are snipers and all that, but they are trying to think through, okay, how do we get this guy with minimal violence? Right, I guess. Rather than looking for the, for the excuse. So we may have to take advantage of this reliance on prequels, or else we're just going to keep going with the fantasy. You mentioned Die Hard. Remember, this was the end of the Cold War. So we were, without the Ruskies, we weren't sure whom to hate anymore. But how much movies like Death Wish was a reaction to what seemed to be lily-livered liberal judges being soft on criminals? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, it's, the, and that's that, the formula you're going to have to work through. Yeah, and that's and that's a major narrative where they've used, the, you know, first make people afraid of crime and then tell them the, that the crime is being caused by Democrats. Yeah, I totally get that. Thanks when a lot. The real criminals are on, the, are, are, are on Wall Street, really Main Street. Great, thanks. Well, yeah, I mean, the people who are killing the most Americans are not people with guns in the inner cities or anywhere else in America, people with guns. The people who are killing the most people are in boardrooms. You're absolutely right about that. David, thank As you. As we learned in the, in the movie, uh, the, the Informant. Yeah. Yeah, thank among you, others. Had a good week. Yeah, thanks again, David. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
Greenwood, Black Wall Street, Tulsa massacre. I don't know if you caught Joe Biden's speech yesterday on it, but a hundred years and no president has even spoken of this. And frankly, most, certainly most white Americans had no idea about this until the last year or three or five. And I'm guessing probably most Americans generally didn't know about it across the board. But what is even more shocking is that it's one of many. People are horrified by the fact that airplanes were being flown by white people in Tulsa over Black Wall Street, dropping bombs out of them in 1921. You know, they did that in 1985 with Project Move in Philadelphia. In 1863, there were the so-called draft riots. And keep in mind, I mean, in fact, even in Tulsa, it had always historically been referred to, at least in the white press, as a race riot, which is coded racist phrase for black people behaving badly, right? We all know what, quote, race riot means. And that certainly is not what it was. It was a massacre of black people by white people. The draft riots in 1863 in New York City, same deal. In Camilla, Georgia in 1868, black people slaughtered by white people. These are not cases of, you know, hey, uh, you know, a dozen people got killed or some guys got lynched or, I mean, these are like major taking out pieces of cities, destroying people's lives, I mean, just massacres. In 1868 in uh, Opelousa, Louisiana, this was, during Reconstruction, this was white people still trying to fight the Civil War and still trying to maintain slavery. In 1873 in Colfax, Louisiana. In 1886 in Carrollton, Mississippi. In 1887 in Thibodeau, Louisiana. Are you starting to notice a trend, by the way? In 1898 in Wilmington, North Carolina. In 1917 in East St. Louis in Elaine, Arkansas, and many other cities during the red summer of 1919, and of course in Tulsa in 1921, and then there was another after that in 1923 in Rosewood, Florida. In every single case, the black death tolls were minimized in the press, or the white press didn't even reference the black death tolls. They would point to white deaths. In every single case, police reports were falsified. In every single case, they were referred to as race riots rather than massacres. In many of these cases, torture was used to elicit confessions from black people who had survived these massacres to prove that the white people didn't start the massacre. In every one of the cases that I just shared with you, there were mass graves, unmarked mass graves. In most of these cases, men and women were threatened that if they even discussed what happened with outsiders, they would be confronting torture or death. Libraries were purged of periodicals that dared to tell the truth is the phrase that True Blue Majority writes over the Daily Kos. Uh, learning the real history of this country would break you is the headline. And it's like, yeah. I mean, there literally were laws passed prohibiting teachers from even mentioning these events in public schools in these states where these things happened. And now you've got Republicans all across the country trying to make it illegal for teachers to teach just the basic history of the United States because it might make white people uncomfortable.
how are we going to move forward in this country in any way if we don't confront our past? You know, uh, one of the commentators yesterday on TV made a comment that just, whoa, yes. He said, what the Republicans are trying to do is prevent a multiracial democracy from happening. Multiracial. The Republican Party is almost entirely white. It has become essentially the party of white supremacy. The Democratic Party is very diverse. It is fulfilling the ideals anyway that were articulated at the founding of this republic, certainly not acted on and to this day. It is time that we taught this in our schools, this history. It's time that we recognize that this is our history. It's time that we work to create a multiracial democracy, a pluralistic society, an accepting society. This is the essence of democracy. We're all in, right? Demos, the people, all of the people, not just the white people or the straight people or the male people, all of the people or the wealthy people. We've got a hell of a lot of work to do here, and we're up against these crazies from these three groups I defined, and then we, you got a new religion on top You're of it. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I wanted to just very quickly point out the piece that we published a couple of days ago on Hartman Report, which was titled, Is It Too Late for Democracy? And my point is that the Republicans right now are absolutely playing with fire. We're talking about burning down democracy here in the United States. They had just filibustered the January 6th commission when, you know, first wrote this piece. And the bottom line, I mean, let's just speak the truth. The people who have taken over the GOP don't want, don't like democracy. I made this point yesterday. You know, this goes back to Richard Nixon. They are not fans of democracy. They will do everything they can to stop democracy, to block democracy. This is not Dwight Eisenhower's Republican Party. And they exploit democracy's weakness by exacerbating racial tensions shouting out encouragement to white racists, first in code, that was Nixon and Reagan, and then explicitly with Trump. People say, well, what is it about Trump that he's got such a hold on the Republican Party? It's that he was the first president, Republican president, to actually just basically out loud say what the Republican Party has been about ever since Nixon's Southern strategy, ever since 1968, which is white racism, white supremacy. And white male supremacy, by the way, let me toss that in there. You see that in the, in the whole debate around abortion and women's rights and feminism and Rush Limbaugh calling, you know, feminists, feminazis and all this kind of crap. This is, this is one of two major political parties in the United States has embraced this. It has become their identity. And you get these guys like Paul Ryan, you know, and sitting around going, well, I, I, we shouldn't make a personality cult in our, in our party. Come on. It's not that it's a personality cult around Trump. It's that Trump is, and it's not just Trump, by the way. You've got a bunch of elected Republicans who are saying this, and not just the crazies like Matt Gates, who's trying to get out of going to jail, Marjorie Trader Greene, who's just nuts, anti-Semitic racist nuts, but just nuts. It's worse than that. It's deeper than that. It's, this has been at the core of this party for a long, long time. And 
I mean, they've introduced now over 400 pieces of legislation in 47 states to block your right to vote or to make it harder to vote. Joe Biden said, President Biden, he said, what I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. Can you imagine? It has reached the point where the president of the United States is calling out another party. David Sirota, my former talk radio colleague, now he publishes a newsletter. He's turning it into quite a little journalistic enterprise, the Daily Poster. He writes, but now the, another Overton window has shifted. Now the Overton window is the window of acceptable political debate, right? What is acceptable? Is it acceptable, for example, to talk about somebody other than Lee Oswald was responsible for killing JFK, right? not considered respectable, right? So the Overton window hasn't gone there yet. But the Overton window has shifted with regard to voter suppression and flooding elections. Well, this is what David Sirota said. He said, super PAC and dark money spending flooding elections are now the norm. And voter suppression tactics and legislation are considered by many to be just another totally permissible aspect of the political competition. That's where we stand right now. This is what we're fighting. This is what H.R. 1, the For the People Act, is seriously and aggressively trying to challenge, trying to take on. And by the way, if you think that doing away with the filibuster and then passing H.R. 1 is just going to magically solve everything, think again. The first thing that's going to happen the day after that legislation is passed is it's going to be challenged by 20 states before the Supreme Court, which has been packed with right-wing whack jobs. I mean, right-wing people who are so outside the mainstream, who are so, uh, and you know, when I say nut and whack job, that's what I'm specifically referring to, is people who are outside the mainstream of political thought. They are so beyond anything that historically was, well, I shouldn't say that. They're so beyond anything that was historically acceptable because it was acceptable. It just was not acceptable explicitly. It had to be done in code. You had to be polite about it. This is the old, well, you know, we used to use the N-word, and then we started using the busing word, you know, and then, and then, and then we said tax cuts, and everybody understood what we meant. I don't think it's too late for democracy, but I think we're so close to it that I am deeply concerned. I was very worried toward the end of the Trump presidency. I am frankly even more worried right now. We need to get active and stay active. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Winston in Ormond Beach, Florida. Hey, Winston, what's on your mind today? Thanks yes, for watching Free Speech. All right, Professor. Hey. hey, listen, I've got, for uh, most of my adult life, I've always wanted to know, I've got two questions to ask you. Rosewood, whatever happened to their money, you know, the bank money, you know, that went to the bank? You hear about things being destroyed and people being killed. But they never talk about their what, what happened to that I, money. I, you know, I'm not a scholar of what happened in Tulsa, and so I, I don't know at that granular, at that level of detail. But I would bet you that if there were black-owned banks, and I believe that there was at least one in that neighborhood, and they had big metal safes that they locked the money up in, that mm -hmm. that money would have survived the burning down of the building, and that money would have been looted by the white people who came in and took it over. Wow. I mean, okay. you know, I, I can't say that for a fact. I, I'm just guessing, mm -hmm. but I mean, it just wow. kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We, we do know that white people looted that community after it was burned. Community, yes. All right, I got one more question. It's about Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened when he made that speech about what he saw when he looked over in the uh, mountaintop, and I've always wanted to know, did he ever talk to anybody about that dream? You know what I mean? Is there anybody that knows about that dream other than what he said at the speech? You know, I mean, these are things that I've been trying to pick apart and learn and get the rest of my life. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to know what happened here. Nobody never talks about it. Yeah, uh, I, I think I know the answer to that question, Winston, but I'm not going to go there because I, I'm not certain. And I'm counting on you, though. You, you're the, you're the guy. I've been listening you know, to you for years now, and you're the one that usually can get these answers. Yeah, but that's a very specific question about a very specific moment in the history of one particular person and a yeah. movement. And of course, King. You know, he. You know, I have a dream about a day when boys and girls have already. I don't remember the exact words, and and my apologies for that. But somebody should know something. Well, yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, and, one of and his hope, partners, one of his people, you know, around him. Okay, hopefully somebody will, and we'll get to it. Rudy in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. You know, there is a correlation to that. That's a serious correlation. The early early bird gets the worm. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Ben Franklin was talking about it back in the day. Yeah. Let me tell you this quick story. Uh, it's not a story. When I grew up as a kid, I had a coach that would allow his son to come stay with me over the summer. I was about 9, 10, somewhere in there. I grew up in the projects, Tom, and, and I couldn't understand why, my you know, the coach would have his son, white guy, over my house in during the summertime in the projects. And I asked my friend, I said, uh, Scott, I said, uh, I said, why are you, um, I said, 
why do you come over here during the summer? He said, you know, my dad kept telling me that he didn't want me to grow up like them people. Now, this conversation, you know, triggered triggered that memory because I couldn't understand that. I have to think that some of that thought or persuasion from my coach has something to do with a level of education and culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a black man, I'm 50 now, and I looking back, it's astonishing to me that more white people are not peed off about the education lack of has been put out in this country. When you really, you know, like you rattled off the history of the massacres. Hell, Tom, I didn't even know a lot of it. You know, Jill, the president's wife, I think that's a a wonderful position for her, if he was to appoint her, to take a look into our education. Because when you know better, you do better. It's a direct line. It's a straight line to people when you know you do better and you treat people differently. When you really sit back and you look at systematic tearing down of black history and lack of not wanting to know about black history, it's staggering. And to see it happening right now in 21. But I mean, as a black man, I see the effect. I see what it has done to a lot of my white counterpart friends that I no longer deal with because they would make little jokes and I would laugh it off and they wonder why I don't talk to them anymore. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's sad because it's hard to explain, Tom, the nuance behind not knowing your history. And I, and I always go back to what Joe Madison said. You guys need a statue. You and Joe Madison need a statue because, it, you know, I, he, he often says this this, this saying behind uh, uh, Martin Luther King, the two most dangerous things in the earth is sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Yep. And, you know, that's what we're living through. And, you know, it's, it's sad because there are white people that are well aware of what's going on that are in positions and have platforms. And, and it's just puzzling to me how these people don't step out of their comfort zone and start speaking out. Yeah, I'm with you, Rudy. And Joe <laughs> Madison is one of the wisest people I know, even beyond smart. He's wise. And wisdom is something right. that we really need more of in this society. You cannot outrun misdeeds. They find some kind of way, mysteriously, good or bad, to affect your life and others. I hope and wish that people will understand that you cannot get away from basic humanitarian process. And, and Rudy, that's not just true of, at the individual level. It's true of nations. Yes. That's what we're confronting. That's what South Africa confronted. That's what we're confronting right now. And other countries are too. Rudy, brilliant. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the comments. Sue in Minneapolis. Hey, Sue, what's up? I wanted to tell you about an experience having to do with facial recognition. Okay. Because my brother, by the way, I'm a person of color, and so are people in my family. Not everybody, but, you know, some of us are. So my brother was accused by the police and. They went to his home. They accused him of robbing a store. And when they showed him and they harassed him a lot and really traumatized him, when they showed my mom the picture of him, she thought it was him. She didn't think it was him because she knows what her son is like. But right. she, but she couldn't thought tell the picture the looked like him. Yeah. It looked, my mom couldn't even tell the difference. Right. The only thing that got him him to go away, you know, they almost took him in, is that he showed them his passport and it showed he wasn't in the country. Oh, and that's the, only thing, 
He had the perfect alibi. Yeah, this is the danger of facial recognition and why I think King County is really going after it, because right now facial recognition is hugely skewed. It's a relatively effective with white people, with African-Americans and Asians. It's very, very prone to error. My point is, is that it is skewed, but that, that, that is not the only problem. My mom couldn't tell the difference. Could have messed up uh, my brother's career. Could have messed up his whole life right. just because of this simple problem. Yeah, so, and we've got to be really careful yeah. that we don't base like convictions entirely on things like that. Yes, Sue, I get it. Kamal in Sherman Oaks, California. Hey, Kamal, what's on your mind today? I just wanted to point out that when there is statistics being cited about crimes being committed by people of various demographics, particularly African-Americans, there should always be an asterisk behind it. Yep. You know, when you hear things like 50% of crimes committed are by black people, I am one of those black people, and I've been accused, falsely accused of many crimes over the years, particularly my teenage and my young adult years, of committing crimes I did not commit. And I've never been convicted didn't stop the guns being drawn on me by police officers many, many times, more than I can count. Wow. And so there should always be that asterisk because there are people salivating at the chops to use this as an agenda to feed their police. Oh, a- absolutely. The point that I made was not that half of crimes are caused by black people, but that half the people in prison in Florida were black, which is a statistic. Yeah, you and can I check. don't even necessarily mean you. It's not a, it's not a dig at you. Yeah. I'm just saying in general, everybody does it it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because even I would believe in that stuff until I was accused falsely of a lot of these crimes. You know, you grow up believing this stuff because that's only statistics that are available. Yes. Excellent point. uh, So I just wanted to point that out, that it could be problematic. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree. It shouldn't just be an asterisk. It should be an entire paragraph. I mean, it should be. If there was a widespread belief in this culture that people with uh, big ears or big noses were congenitally criminal. And so the cops were constantly stopping them and, and checking them out and looking, you know, and, and going after them for small stuff because, you know, hey, this, he's probably crime inclined. Let's get him quick. Mm-hmm. Let's get him, you know. Then suddenly you'd have your prisons full of people with big noses and big ears, right? I mean, it, 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 but it, it, in this case, obviously it's race. But it's just sad that when we have to go to statistics to try to validate points that we believe were valid that we're trying to make we rely on these statistics but they're they can be totally wrong in this particular regard i'm not talking about in a lot of other arguments that people want to make but in this criminal and when it comes to crime statistics i don't even believe them anymore because there were so many times with my multi-ethnic friends where you know i you know i'm not condoning any even minor crimes like smoking weed or drinking when you're underage. I don't, I'm not condoning any of that behavior, but I'm just saying, you know, this is stuff that's relatively common that kids or teenagers or, or, or young adults do. And you start to say things like, oh, I'm not going to do that because deep in your psyche, you're knowing that because you're black, you may be targeted for even doing the minor stuff. Yeah. So when you see these statistics presented in front of you that you're more likely to commit these crimes, and you're saying, well, there's plenty of times where I wouldn't even do the minor stuff because I'm black. It's like, well, what are the real statistics here? 
Yeah. Because I know some of that goes on too. Yeah, no, we went you through know, we like, went oh, through no, a I'm lot of walk. this. I'm not going to jaywalk because I don't want to be bothered today. Exactly. We we went through a lot of this a decade ago where, you know, we were finding that, you know, when cocaine was a, a thing that white people were using cocaine at like four or five times the rate that black people were. And yet black people were being convicted of cocaine offenses at like two or three times the rate of white people. Yes, absolutely. Kamal, thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Tom Arbin here with you and uh, Russell in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hey, Russell, what's on your mind? Listen, I am, I'm a contractor over here in Hendersonville. Actually, I'm uh, putting in a water tank for the drought coming. Anyway, I'm a contractor. Uh, it's a very red state. I mean, unbelievable red state. And earlier you were talking about what we need to do to fight the Republican agenda. And what I do is I have a T-shirt that I had. I made myself. Trump and his minions are seditious traitors. Hmm. And I go around town. I get flack all the time. I get people with the scowls. I've had people, you know, talk to me about it. Some, some cool, some not so cool. But I've also had people come up to me and whisper, oh, thank you for doing that. I was afraid, you know. And so my thought is, you know, we have to be vocal. We have to be open. We have to have signs that we carry with us. And one other thing I do is I've got a list of all the Republican senators and House of Representatives. I've worked my way through about a third of it, calling them and telling them that I don't agree with what they did. I don't like the idea that they didn't, you know, do the commission for uh, January 6th. And just today I, I talked to um, uh, Joe Manchin's office and Kristen Sinema's office and said, look, you know, we have to stick with the Democrats. You can't do what you're doing. And I know you've got a, a very large audience. If all of us today or tomorrow called all of the senators, called Joe Manchin, called Kristen Sinema, literally millions of people on that day and just blow up the phones and just say, look, we're, we want an agenda that is good for the people, that is moving us forward. We won't take this, you know, laying down. And and I, I understand, by the way, Russell, I understand that it's not just those two. Those two are the two who are on record, but apparently there's a few other Democrats who uh, don't want to see the filibuster go away, which is, uh, you know, why I'm pitching the, the Jimmy Stewart filibuster for what it's worth. But, Russell, your point is well made and, and spot on. I completely agree with you. Thank you for the call. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, you wanted to add to the information on race massacres? Yeah, I did, Tom. A couple of years ago, I don't know the exact date, but it was about two years ago, I published a piece that was widely published, in fact, several media outlets. It was called The Black Death, Black Deaths Matter, and I'm not here plugging myself. It was information that was very painful to research. And what I'm getting at is that that information has been out there. What happened in Tulsa happened 100 years ago. What happened in Tulsa was one of two times that aerial bombs were dropped in the United States on the Sovereign 48. No other time has that ever happened, ever. And that was the MOVE massacre and Tulsa. Right. So this information is out there. But like any subject, Tom, you have to have an appetite for it. If you want to study nuclear physics, you have to have an appetite for that. There's too much information in the world. Well, so, that's why we need to get it in our schools, have, Kenyatta. It's, you know, appetite well, or no, people need to know this stuff. Uh, yeah. And you have to want to learn it, though, Tom. You have to want to learn it. And, and I don't know how we fix that. I don't have the answer to that. And then very quickly, I wanted to say that you had a caller 
with regard to this particular issue that we just spoke about that said as a black man and i have called into your show and use that very term and as black men we do have very much shared experiences however i want to make it very clear that we don't all think alike politically or otherwise in fact i don't think like most black people and certainly most white people that i know because my opinions whatever they are are predicated upon the truth and that's what the problem is in this country right now a failure for self-examination, and then as a result of that, a failure to examine the world as a whole. That's my opinion. Yeah, well said, Kenyatta. And how can we determine the truth if we don't know our own damn history? I'm with you. Thank you very much for the call, Kenyatta. Mark in San Francisco. Hey, Mark, what's up? Well, uh, Tom, I was thinking of the way, uh, as, as going after the Republicans, is going after the people funding the Republican Party, because the Republican Party doesn't care what their constituents think about it. It's what, they're, what the people that uh, finance them think yeah, about Yeah, Judd Legum had a great piece this morning about how AT&T has been pouring hundreds of thousands of dollars into all these Republican state representatives, popular.info. We need to call them out, Tom, because they're the ones funding this assault on our democracy, and we should bring it out in the open. It's the people funding the Republican Party we have to put pressure on, peacefully protest and whatever it takes. I think we have to ban dark money in politics. You know, it's, I think it's crazy that a half a million bucks went out of the pockets of any corporation in America into the pockets of seditious Republicans around the country, or for that matter, Democrats. I mean, we need to clean up our politics in the United States, and that means getting money out of the system, as we did in 1974 and 75, with numerous laws that restricted money in politics that the Supreme Court then blew up in 1976 with their Buckley decision, and then doubled down on in 2010 with Citizens United. We got a serious Supreme Court problem, among other things here. Anyhow, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, and continue the conversation. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.